0: here with the Gospel of Mark. Mark is the lectionary gospel for this year. Uh, We are reading today a passage that um, I've always frankly found a little challenging. We're going to read the first few verses now. We'll come back to the rest later. So listen, friends, for the Word of God as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the evangelist Mark. This is Mark chapter 10, beginning with the 17th verse. As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one Thing. will come back to the rest later. <laughs> this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In 2008, the bishop and cabinet uh, asked me to attend something called the New Church Leadership Institute. They wanted me to consider starting a new church, and this training was part of the discernment process. And now our, our ministry obviously ended up taking a more traditional path, a path that brought us here to Christ United. Two years ago, we are very grateful for that, but the New Church Leadership Institute ended up being very formative for me personally, as well as incredibly helpful over the 13 years of ministry since, because planting a new church requires a significant focus on the basics of discipleship. When you start a new church, you have to begin, uh, design, implement, all of your systems and processes from scratch systems and processes that help people discover and live into what it means to be a disciple and that's especially important in new church starts because research has pretty consistently shown that brand new congregations tend to attract a significant number of people who are either brand new to the church or who are learning how to be the church for the first time starting a new church gives that that founding generation, the chance to build good habits from the beginning. Some of you helped found this congregation, so you know what I'm talking about. And one of the the habits that's critical for new churches to get right from the start is the habit of financial stewardship. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, when you're starting a new church, uh, the money is always tight. It really does require a high level of commitment by everyone involved in order to make the finances work, and so, of course, the the subject of financial stewardship was an important part of the agenda at the New Church Leadership Institute. Frankly, I was not looking forward to this part of the agenda. (laughs) The presenter for this particular topic had been helping start new churches for a generation since the 80s. He was a, a subject matter expert on the systems and processes that can help foster success as well as the the mistakes that will doom a new church. And his style was uh, kind of brash. (laughs) He was no-nonsense, he was direct. I thought he was a little abrasive, he had a little bit of drill sergeant in him. And on this particular point, financial stewardship, he said something that challenged me. Now, I'm gonna be completely honest with you and tell you that what he had to say made me defensive at first, because at the time this was an area of growth for our family but over the years since i've come to appreciate what he had to say Uh, it's very memorable it stuck with me all these years because in my own experience it rings true he said that when it comes to discipleship it is essential for pastors to teach people the distinction between being a tipper and being a tither i was like oh that's kind of (laughs) rude but He was the subject matter expert, so I kept listening. He said, a tipper is someone who treats church like a restaurant. On the Sundays that they're there, they'll put something in the offering plate. If the service was particularly good, or maybe at a special time of year, they might put in a little more. But, he said, and this is actually the, the crucial point, tippers give from what's left over after their needs, of course, and most of their wants are It's not an intentional part of their discipleship. Tithers, on the other hand, he said, make a commitment to themselves and to God that they are able to and will give X amount of money to the church in the coming year. Uh, Tithe literally means tenth, so 10% is obviously the goal, but that's a goal that, that most Christians are still working towards. The point, he said, is to be intentionally growing in our generosity until we until so we get there, because for those who tithe, giving is one of the, the first items on the family budget. It gets top priority. It's an ongoing commitment to Christ through financial stewardship of Christ Church. I was talking to one of our church members last week who told me that uh, from a very early age his parents taught him that the church the check to the church was the first one to write, which seems countercultural and counterintuitive, but it's worked for him for a long time. And this this instructor said that pastors for new churches in particular have to do the preaching and teaching work to make clear the distinctions between tipping and tithing. As I said, uh, I was kind of put off by that at first. He stepped on my toes a little bit that day because as I've shared with you before, there was a time in our lives uh, when our family, Whitney and I, before the boys came along, the number that we would put on our pledge card, and every church I've been in for the past 20 years does the same thing we're doing today. We would put on the pledge card um, some portion of what came after everything else was allocated in the family budget. And it took us a while to realize that we had it backwards. And I'm grateful, frankly, for the New Church Leadership Institute for helping me to understand that. What What I came to learn was that An important milestone in our discipleship is when financial stewardship becomes a spiritual discipline, something that we do that is an intentional part of our spiritual journey, something that is as essential to our spiritual growth as our prayer life and Bible study and worship attendance and service work. And this isn't my opinion, it's not the opinion of the rather brash presenter at NCLI. Uh, Jesus makes the same point in our passage for today, that our relationship with money truly is a, a spiritual matter. So this is the last week of our annual stewardship sermon series. Throughout this season, we've been, been focusing on our mission statement here at Christ United, loving God, serving others, transforming lives. We've obviously covered loving God and serving others in the first two weeks of this series. And this week, we're turning our attention to the idea of transforming lives, and as it turns out, transformation is the issue facing the man in our scripture passage this morning, a man who runs up and kneels before Jesus and asks him what is lacking in his spiritual life. And his specific question is what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus tells him that he must keep the commandments, which of course have everything to do with loving God and serving others, those first two parts of our mission statement here at Christ United. Christ United turns out that in his case, the one thing lacking is his transformation. So let's finish the text. Again, this is a, a challenging one. I'm going to reread the beginning of that 21st verse and then read through verse 27. Listen again, friends, for God's word. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, "You lack one thing. Go." sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me when he heard this he was shocked (laughs) i bet he was would have been and he went away grieving for he had many possessions then jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of god And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Thanks be to God for that. So there are a couple of details uh, that are particularly notable in this passage for me. The first uh, is that Mark tells us that Jesus loved this earnest, faithful young man before him. And that's unique in Mark, because uh, I like to kid that in Mark, Jesus is the grumpy Jesus. (laughs) He's always fussing at somebody about something. So for Mark to tell us that he loved this man is significant. This guy is, is so close to getting it. He's done plenty. He is clearly in love with God. He, if he really has followed all the commandments, and there's no reason to, to doubt his word on that, that means he's absolutely served others. He is so close to getting it on this path of what we would call discipleship. And so Jesus gives him a challenge that will determine whether or not he has allowed his heart to be transformed by God. In other words, uh, Jesus is testing his reaction. It's like that that knee reflex test that doctors give you at your physical. Now, Whitney challenged me on this and said, I don't think they do that anymore. For men of a certain age, they do. Every time I go, doctor's pulling out this little rubber mallet and hitting me on the patellar tendon and watching uh, to see my response. And you know, if if your leg kicks out, then you're good. If your leg does not respond, uh, that could indicate some kind of a damage, some kind of issue, some kind of... Uh, maybe damage to the central nervous system or some even thyroid disease now here's the crucial point here for me jesus does not really expect him to sell all he has and give it to the poor that is not the standard in the new testament nowhere does jesus say you have to do that to go to heaven or to be in love with god that's not the standard of discipleship i mean jesus doesn't need the money right it's not about the money instead he's giving this guy a spiritual test to look for some kind of underlying spiritual malady he's trying to determine uh, if this faithful young man whom he loves has what our buddhist friends call uh, an attachment to his wealth an attachment to his stuff an attachment to his money does he love his wealth so much that he's willing to walk away from the messiah money is not the problem not what the Bible says the love of money is the problem Jesus loved him Mark tells us he is so close but he's he's too attached to his money to even consider responding to Jesus challenge he has not yet undergone this transformation uh, that places God at the very first priority in all things all things including our bank accounts Instead, his immediate reaction to this challenge is, quote, when he heard this, he was shocked and he went away grieving for he had many possessions. (laughs) That's why he wasn't willing to do it. And tellingly, and uh, to me, this is probably the most important point of the entire passage, uh, this is the only example in the Gospels, the only one, when a person refuses a direct personal call to follow Jesus it's the only time it happens and it's over money so it's worth challenging ourselves with the question how would we react to, to such a spiritual test from Jesus would we go away sad immediately or would we be open to growing in our generosity because you see our relationship with money is absolutely a spiritual matter that is the point of tithing that's the point of financial stewardship and it's when that relationship with money becomes a spiritual discipline in our lives that we allow God to transform us allow God to transform us which of course is the point of the famous closing line of this passage for mortals it is impossible Jesus says but not for God for God all things are possible the definition of stewardship that we've been working with throughout this series is uh, this one the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. We've been talking about how, in Christian theology, we're talking about the the careful and responsible management of our money, our time, and our talents, which we use then to be good stewards of the church. And we've talked a fair amount about time and talents. Specifically on the subject of money, you may have heard John Wesley's famous advice to Methodists. Wesley was the founder of Methodism. He said, earn all you can save all you can give all you can that's his his core teaching he'd been preaching and teaching that throughout his long ministry and the historical record shows us that it had helped countless Methodists to better their lives and to better their station in life but it's interesting that the, at the end of his own life uh, or late in his life Wesley's frustration (laughs) was that Methodists took the first part very seriously. (laughs) We are 100% on board with earning all we can, right? As good capitalists, we have no quarrel with that. And it turns out, historically speaking, that we're pretty good at the the second part, uh, saving all we can. Methodists, historically speaking, have been a very practical, frugal bunch, but it it was that last part Wesley believed. Giving all we can, that continued to be a challenge to the end of Wesley's days. If you read some of the sermons on money from late in his life, whoo, talk about stepping on toes. Having earned it and saved it, we weren't as keen on giving it away, or at least not as keen as Wesley would have liked. And if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, I'm talking about gut level, look in the mirror spiritual knee reflex test level honesty this is usually the spiritual discipline that for many if not for most of us just may be the hardest spiritual discipline to commit to on our own spiritual journeys however challenging it may be though the good news is that for God all things are possible as we continue on our spiritual journey God's grace transforms us because transformation is god's work not ours our task is just to be open to it we we love god and we're transformed we serve others and we're transformed we commit ourselves to live in a congregation uh, whose mission is transforming lives and we ourselves are transformed Uh, Some of you know this story. I I mentioned it on the podcast. If you listen to the off-script podcast, I've said it to a couple of y'all in conversations after church. But it it always makes me laugh, and it uh, always comes to mind this time of year in particular. It was back in uh, March of 2013. It was the morning after it had been announced that Whitney and the boys and I were going to be moving to First United Methodist Church of Sherman. The first call in my office that next day was from my old boss. He had since retired, uh, but his name was John Rosenberg. He was the district superintendent when we had moved to Henrietta three years before. I loved John dearly. He was also a contemporary of the pastor that I was following in Sherman. Now, Dr. Jim Pledger was retiring after the longest tenure in that church's history, and I knew I had big shoes to fill. And so John wanted to congratulate me. He uh, wanted to wish our family well, as we made the move, but then he said, Chris, I just got to tell you, i got to prepare you, you are, fun- you are following the funniest man I've ever met. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, geez, well, that's a pretty high bar. And it turns out that John was correct. Jim Pleasure, God rest his soul, was an extremely funny man, as I learned I got to know him. I'm not sure I've ever laughed before a funeral (laughs) as hard as I did before when he and I did. He told me a joke. I'm not going to tell you now. Um, I can tell you offline if you want to know later. But he always used to do one stewardship sermon every year, and it was always this time of year, and he always referred to it as the sermon on the amount. (laughs) 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 But you know, it seems to me that it's not really, it's not really the amount that matters. It's about the transformation that God works within us when it comes to our relationship with money, a transformation that moves us, in the brash words of that NCLI instructor, from tipping to tithing. It's a personal transformation that makes possible all of the transformation that we do in this church, all of our transforming ministries, which means that it's a transformation that God uses in turn to transform the world. Friends, this is indeed the last week of our stewardship sermon series. I'm sure you're all very bummed about that. (laughs) I'm not either. But it's not the last week of stewardship season. Every day of every year, we are the stewards of this place we call home. As a church family, we're in the business of transforming lives, and we know that that transformation starts with every single one of us. So today we give thanks to God for the Spirit's work within us and the Spirit's work through us.